Here's a little fuzzy for me, but I will bet the house that you were a Miss March. A uh, Miss what? Miss March. The Playmate of the Month? What, about 1976? I can see the whole layout in my head. You like jazz, your favorite movie with Jonathan Livingston Seagull, you wanted to help underprivileged kids. Am I right or am I right? I mean, I can see the whole layout in my head. And if you don't mind me saying so, you are even more beautiful now. Here, in my office, completely dressed, almost a decade later. Wow. So... Listen, bub. Knock that high school locker room grin off your face or I'll knock it off for you. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to learn more about it because you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna, and we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy Award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Sipul Shepard. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. I hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every two weeks. This is going to take several years, as you can imagine. So please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's Let's get get started. Here we are. We're finally here, Shauna. We've finally got together to do the first episode of Moonlighting. How exciting is that? It's been a long time in the uh, making, so happy to be here. So tell me, how did it all start for you, your first glimpse of the Moonlighting TV show? Hmm, all right. Well, we have to go back um, quite a ways. I was in high school, um, 80, you know, 85. Now, I don't know if I can say that I watched it from like the very first moment it aired on TV, but I... I would say I probably came into it the first season after the pilot, you know, it was a mid-season replacement. I think they repeated those episodes during the summer. And that's when I first remember watching the show um, and just thinking it was funny. And there's something I really liked about it. But um, as I got a little bit older, because I was about 12 or 13 when it started airing, you know, the next year or two, I really became obsessed with the show in general, their growing relationship. Um, I had a huge crush on Bruce Willis, of course. I mean, my walls were just covered, you know, um, with posters and um, of Moonlighting of Sybil and Bruce and all the interviews and, you know, anything I could get my hands on about them at the time. And 
just was a religious uh, watcher from week to week and waited for that TV guide to come in the mail on Friday or Saturday and, you know, rummaged through it to see if uh, there was a, an R by the, the moonlighting listing to see if it was a repeat or going to be a new episode. And, you know, just that whole roller coaster ride that they took us on, you know, it's almost like a relationship with the show, you know, and yeah, I just had my you know best friend watching the show so we could discuss it the next day and, and all of that. And that's how I originally, you know, got into the show just uh, as it was airing and going through the roller coaster ride that we had to go through during those days because it wasn't, you know, you can't miss an episode um, because it's not going to be repeated for a long time, you know. <laughs> um, so you had to be glued Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. That's that's when it aired in the States. Had to be glued to the TV at that time. Yeah. What about you? How did you come to the show and start watching? I don't think I started watching it from the beginning. I don't think I started watching it from the pilot. Um, and I'm not sure when it actually aired in Australia. I actually haven't looked that up. I've only looked up the US air dates. But I always remember I must have just watched it one night and thought it was great and, you know, started watching it. And I honestly, I remember I couldn't wait to get my daughter to bed to watch it because <laughs> my daughter was only one. Yeah, she was only little, at the, only had the one daughter at the time. That was when my journey started with Bruce Willis and, and Sybil Shepherd. So, yeah, it was a great journey since then for Bruce. I just love the show. That's all I can say. And their relationship and the banter between them, and it was so fast. And, and you were trying to work out who to listen to when they were talking over each other. Do I listen to Bruce or do I listen to Sybil? So it was a bit like that. But that was my experience with, um, with Moonlighting. Yeah, your initial experience, yeah. So we can't go into Moonlighting without actually talking about who created Moonlighting, and his name is Glenn Gordon Caron. And I thought I'd just go through a little bit about him, about how it came about that he created Moonlighting. He was actually born in Oceanside, New York, and he graduated from the State University of New York in 1975, and he studied at several places before working at an advertising agency. So what happened was that while at the ad agency, he was invited by NBC to write a pilot for the network. Now, the pilot didn't receive a series order, but Karen's work impressed writer-producer James L. Brooks, who invited him to join the writing staff of Taxi, although he only actually worked on one episode. So Karen subsequently co-produced the first 12 episodes of Remington Steel on NBC from 1982 to 87 before he left to start his own company, which is Picture Maker Productions, which created Moonlighting. Right. So he created Moonlighting, and that was on ABC from 1985 to 1989, which was a worldwide hit that revitalised the career of Sybil Shepherd and launched the career of Bruce Willis. Now, between its third and fourth season, Karen directed his first feature film, which was Clean and Sober in 1988, which starred Michael Keaton. He then directed three more feature films, yeah. So he wrote, he wrote, and then um, he was writing or directing um, like the other three films. Um, so he then directed three more feature films, oh, okay. uh, Wild and Napalm in 1993 with Dennis Quaid and Deborah Winger and written by Vince Gilligan, who later created the AMC series Breaking Bad. The Warren Beatty Annette Benning vehicle Love Affair in 1994, which um, a remake of the 1939 film of the same name. And Picture Perfect in 1997, starring Jennifer Aniston. Several years later, Karen created Medium for NBC. He also mm -hmm. served as executive producer on the show, and he wrote several episodes and directed the series pilot episode. 
it ran for seven seasons with the last two airing on CBS. Yeah, I think Bull was the, his most recent. Karen wrote and produced episodes of the first and second seasons of the FX series Tyrant. Um, and in the spring of 2017, he joined CBS's Bull as a consulting producer before becoming the series showrunner at the beginning of season two. So I'll talk about his awards. Glenn was a recipient of the 2007 Outstanding Television Writer Award at the Austin Film Festival. He was also nominated for four Primetime Emmy Awards for his work on Moonlighting between 1986 and 87 and won a Writers Guild of America Award for his 1985 pilot script for Moonlighting. Yay! Hey. Now, this is what I find really interesting. As a writer on the 1980-81 series called Breaking Away. There's an episode called Knowing Her. Oh. Hmm. 1982-83, he did Remington Steel from his interviews. They're readily available on YouTube and so forth. He did that quite reluctantly. <laughs> right. I think I've, I've heard him say he was more interested in working in movies. And so maybe, you know, more, you know, working in television and, and then yeah. more television, you know, seemed yeah. like kind of his niche at the time, but he wanted uh, to be moving more into movies, but didn't. So, yeah, but his career went in a different direction. So, yeah, right. So that's a little bit about Glenn. And yeah. not only that, in 2005 to 2011, he created Medium on NBC. And there's also an episode called Knowing Her. Really? Yes. How funny. And, yeah. And also, there's another episode in Medium called It's a Wonderful Death. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, repeating things, which is kind of a staple of Glenn's and Moonlighting, which we'll talk yeah. more about. So that's the person who created yeah. this highly acclaimed TV series, Moonlighting. The pilot, the first episode ever. It was written by Glenn Gordon Karen. It was directed by Robert Butler. The guest yeah. stars were Dennis Lipscomb, Robert Ellenstein, Jim McCrell, James Karen, and Rebecca Stanley. And also, I forgot the other guy, Dennis somebody, <laughs> the bad guy, the Mohawk guy. Anyway, oh, right, right, yeah. I forgot to put okay. him down. So just briefly about Robert Butler, the director, he goes way back, right? And um, mm -hmm. he started his career as a stage manager and assistant uh, before launching his directing career with an episode of Hennessy starring Jackie Cooper and including a young Ron Howard. Hmm. And he is known for being the director that directs pilots. So if anybody wants a director for a pilot, Robert's your man, right? Right. So yeah. he's retired now. I've only picked out the shows that I'm familiar with. A lot of the other shows I'm not familiar with, so um, you'll have to forgive me there. So from 1960 to 61, he did Bonanza. He did one episode of Bonanza, so I'm assuming that's the pilot. I don't know. He did, the, he did two episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show. What excited me was some of these ones. 1962, Dr. Kildare, two episodes. Oh, my God, I used to love Dr. Kildare. You're too young, Shauna. You don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> I, I know the name, but I've, I've never seen it. 63, you did Ben Casey. Oh, I loved Ben Casey. Three episodes. In 1964, he did two episodes of The Twilight Zone. Uh, 65 to 66, he did five episodes of Hogan's Heroes. I used to love Hogan's Heroes. Couldn't wait to get mm. home from school to watch that. That shows right. how old I am. <laughs> in 66, he did six episodes of Batman and two episodes of Star Trek. And 68, right. he did one episode of Ironside. I used to love Ironside mm -hmm. with Raymond mm -hmm. Burr. 
that was I'm assuming that's the pilot when it's only one episode I'm just assuming it's the pilot so let's just assume and also 69 he did one episode he did Mission Impossible 1972 to 73 he did three episodes of the Waltons yes I remember Uh, that yeah now we're getting closer to your <laughs> your time. <Yeah. line. laughs> the Waltons were always coming on as I was going to bed. I remember oh the God. yeah, I remember the the beginning of that show as I was heading off to bed. Seventy three did Hawaii Five O one episode, and this one excites me. Two episodes of Columbo in nineteen seventy three seventy four. I'm a mad Columbo fan. Love yeah. Peter Falk. Then in 1981, he did six episodes of Hill Street Blues. Yeah. And now this is where I think they met. I could be wrong, but 1982 to 87, he did multiple episodes on Remington Steel. Oh, okay. Right. So he was director, he was creator, he was a producer, and he was an executive consultant. Yeah, Glenn Glenn and him must have had a relationship starting from that point. So that's just a brief overview of his work. He has won two Emmy Awards, one in 1973 for The Blue Knight and one in 1981 for Hill Street Blues, the premiere. Okay. Yeah, so that's Robert Butler. Yeah. And then uh, Dennis Stewart, uh, the Mohawk guy. Yeah, you can tell me about Dennis. Sorry, I ran out of time. He's the one that I actually do really recognize because he was in Greece and that was a big favorite of mine uh, growing up. Um, he was one of the... Um, what, what, what were they called? Oh, gosh. It was the, the Pink Ladies and the... Um... Oh, yeah. What were the, it was the name of the group? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Um, oh, we have to Google it. <laughs> uh, let's see. He, he played Danny Zuko in Greece and... No, he wasn't Danny Zuko, but I don't know what his name was. Um, he wasn't Danny Zuko? No, oh, Danny Zuko's yeah. John Travolta. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right, you're right. <laughs> God, okay. Cut, cut all this. <laughs> I didn't think about, let's see, when I'm clicking on his name, they're starting to talk about, oh, they're just talking about Greece. I'm sorry. I'm thinking, I'm like, looking at him. Okay. Um, so uh, the T-Birds, the T-Birds. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> let me start over. Well, the T-Birds, okay. no, the T-Birds is John Travolta's group though. Oh, you're right. You're right. So yes. then so um, he's one of the, he's, okay. <laughs> God, I'm all confused. One of my favorite movies, but I can't remember the thing about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway. We include this. This is great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, all right. So Dennis Stewart played one of the, the bad guys that rolled up on the T-Birds, and he dated uh, Stockard Channing's character, um, Rizzo. Uh, yeah. So he was in Greece, which I watched many times growing up. So he's he's one that I recognize in this episode, and he's. Uh, looking very rough mm. in this, like, very much um, the bad guy role. Yeah, he does play the bad guy well. The looks, yeah, you know, he's, he? uh, he's someone I'd be scared of. Yes, and it's funny. My daughter has a new little dog, and her name is Rizzo. <laughs> oh. called her Betty Rizzo. <laughs> Likes Rizzo. I don't know. She liked the character. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Rizzo was was uh, the cool girl. She was, wasn't she? Oh, and just quickly, um, also Rebecca Stanley was the wife of the gentleman who got run over by the car. Yeah, so Rebecca Stanley, I couldn't find out a lot about her, but she was in Cagney and Lacey, Moonlighting, The A-Team, and mm-hmm. Knott's Landing. 
I used to love Knott's Landing. Used to yeah, watch yeah, I used to watch that too. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. So um, she has the red hair. She's the one that they yes. talk to by the pool later yes. in the episode. Yes. Okay. The yes. Yeah. Right. That's, that's Rebecca Stanley. So this aired on the 3rd of March, 1985. Let's go through our notes, Shauna. Yeah, so let's get talking about the episode. Let's get talking this, about this the, the uh, meat and potatoes of it all, right? <laughs> this is what people want to hear. Cool. Hear our thoughts cool. and see what they can relate to and um, see if they have the same thoughts along the way. That's right. Things we noticed. And so, yeah, what have you got? Okay, so what are your first thoughts as it opens, the credit opening? Yeah. Yeah. So first thoughts, um, just, well, first of all, I was going to just talk about um, my go-to moonlighting episodes a little bit. And this normally isn't one of them. You know, I'm not normally just going to the pilot to watch any old time. You know, there are certain episodes that we have that are favorites um, and that we, you know, might put on just as a little escape in the evening. I don't normally go back to the pilot, you know, because the pilot sets everything up and I like to be more in the middle of Maddie and David's relationship when I, you know, watch. But the thing is, every time I do watch the pilot, I just get really engrossed quickly. You know, I think it's an episode that grabs you from the beginning. First of all, they have this chase scene that they open up with that starts it off, you know, in a pretty exciting way. And we have the Mohawk guy. We've got this um, looks like everyday guy getting up to go for a run. So, yeah, I just think they start off in um, a very interesting and exciting way. You know, this man, I think his name is Mark, maybe in the episode. I have to like double check that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think that uh, it starts off in an exciting way. And then they transition into Sybil waking up at home and everything, you know, all hell breaking loose there. What were your thoughts uh, going into the pilot? Well, I must admit, when I first saw the pilot, after I'd already seen some episodes of the show, because obviously mm-hmm. back then you didn't have the luxury of streaming, yeah. right? Seeing everything right? in order. There weren't any videos or DVDs. So I watched it and I thought, am I watching Moonlighting? Right. It's so different. Like, yeah. you know, you start with this the husband and wife in bed and he gets that funny look and watch and then he's going for a run and then this guy with a mohawk barefoot starts chasing him and I'm like, it's so different. Now I understand that, you know, Glenn's starting to create a bit of a foundation of finally getting to them too. But when you first watch it, it's like nobody's coming out of an elevator, nobody's slamming a door, Agnes (laughs) isn't, you know, at the reception doing her rhymes. So it's like, okay, well, Obviously, we've got to create this basis. Yeah. So that was really interesting. The other thing that really caught my eye was he's got his little cassette tape around his waist. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day with cassette tapes and his Walkman. Yeah. And his Walkman. And he's. There are some things that date the show a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I think we have to remember with this episode, uh, it was like a made for TV movie, right? So it's an hour and 20 minutes long. Yes. And those are pretty common back in the day because there wasn't much on to watch on TV. So, yeah, I think that how they open the show, they're thinking everyday audience, everyday viewers just sitting at home. How are they going to grab their attention right away? Yeah, it's not, you know, for Moonlighting fans, it's not your typical Moonlighting episode, how it opens and things like that. Although they do open other episodes with the case, you know, starting with the case. So, yeah, yeah, it kind of. But, yeah, I think uh, it's less typical moonlighting format and more, you know, movie of the week, you know, suck the audience in with some, with an action sequence, transitioning right into a beautiful woman, a beautiful woman's bedroom. 
to capture the viewer's um, attention in that way. And a familiar face as well, you know, because Sybil was the one that was um, well known at the time. The other thing I liked about this sequence of them running is the camera is on the ground. I don't know if you noticed that. The camera is actually going along the ground as they're running, showing right. their feet. Their feet, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, that was, yeah. I found that interesting as well. Yeah, uh, true. The poor guy gets run over by the car and right. Gunther goes up to him and's making out he's, you know, giving him CPR and nobody notices he takes the watch off his wrist. Yeah, well, I think he was doing that too as a distraction. You know, I think he was yeah. acting as a as a good citizen because yeah. I think Mark, we'll call him, I think that was his name, getting hit by the car actually did him a favor because he was going to have to kill him or attack him in some way to get that watch, right? Mm-hmm. So he was hit by the car. It gave Gunther um, an opportunity to get close to him, pretend he was giving some CPR, grab that watch and run off. Perfect uh, way to um, get that item. And I, and I suppose if you were a, a bystander, you wouldn't actually be looking, you would be distracted by other people and police sirens and ambulance yeah. sirens and so yeah. forth. So Yeah, and just someone being hit by a car, you wouldn't, and you no, wouldn't even think that right. someone yeah. was going to take yeah. a watch off someone's wrist in the middle of all of it. I think it's a great intro to Sybil. What do you think? The pictures on the wall, all her modelling photos. Uh, yes, it is a, a great and iconic um, piece of the show because that's something, you know, and one thing we're going to talk about is things that are repeated throughout the series. That's one thing that is repeated throughout the series is panning across the pictures of her on the wall, down mm-hmm. onto her her bed or something like that that's done in other, in other ways throughout the series. So, yeah, perfect. I mean, and like I said, just the perfect introduction because that's how people know her. That's how the audience knew her at the time, um, a model actress and just a familiar face beautiful as beautiful as she was panned down to her and then she was in a little negligee or something like that you know (laughs) when you first see her sitting up in the bed with when she hears the crashing of all her belongings downstairs I think it's it was a great and iconic um, introduction for her yeah great start then she gets up and you see her coming down the white staircase now it's a great shot I love that shot because it's way back and it's above so they've obviously got a crane or something whatever they call them to show her coming down yeah it's just a great shot to see her coming down the it's a beautiful white staircase so apparently I don't know if this is true Shawnee you can butt in if I'm wrong in the pilot that's an actual house in Beverly Hills and had that lovely staircase and then in the subsequent episodes they actually replicated that yep it's a it's a house um it was either in Beverly Hills or in the Hollywood Hills um yep yeah, that I think they just used for the pilot. Um, but then on another stage, I always go back to the commentary. I think that's our best reference to a lot of things that were going on behind the scenes um, of the show, a lot, you know, along with um, now this new book that's been put out, which is great, gives us you know more insight. But the commentary to me, because it's um, the players that were actually there, they talked about how in the pilot episode, they use that house. And then on the Fox lot, um, stage 21, they had Blue Moon, and those sets. And then there was another set for Maddie's house. So yeah. And that um, staircase also is iconic for the show as well. It's been used several times in other TV shows. And because I'm a crazy Columbo fan, it's actually used in one of Columbo's episodes as well. Oh, really? Okay. 
and I can't remember the yeah. name of the episode, but I'll get that. Yeah, because when, yeah. when this woman's coming down the stairs, I'm like, oh, my God, that's Maddie's staircase. The oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's just rude. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, that was that was amazing. Maddie's staircase, yeah. yeah. It'll always be Maddie's staircase, nobody that's else's staircase. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, one yeah. thing I noticed, too, because in the pilot they're using an actual house, I can tell the floor is different. It's different tiling. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah. We look for seriously. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to see the layout of the house, like where the living room was, because you know Maddie's staircase, as you came down the stairs, was to the right. Yeah, but it's the not there. Right. Yeah, it's yeah not- I think. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was there. And they put maybe a lot of plants and things like that around yes. to, yes. yeah, just kind of isolate the staircase because that was kind of the focal point of it all. And yeah. also, we see the kitchen of this house now I, oh, right. I think this is the last time we see the kitchen spoiler alert yeah I don't, yeah, I don't think we ever see Maddie's kitchen again yeah, she's not well she wasn't much of a cook I don't think no she wasn't no. Uh, she wasn't too domesticated that one <laughs> <laughs> model turned detective turned businesswoman they were very busy that's right so um we get introduced to Andre the chef and right. because I'm Italian I understand what he says. Oh, what does what he say? <laughs> he screams out, non si paga, non si labora, which means if you don't pay, I don't work. Oh, okay. Says. Yeah, so that's what he's saying when he's screaming. Little at his little insight. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Didn't Something I didn't know. But one thing yeah. I found interesting is when you see him throw the vases, it's got to no. be at a different time because they would have had so many takes. I mean, how many vases can you break? So you know what I mean? So if you look at him, he throws a vase, but he's probably just yeah. throwing it on a mattress or throwing it to somebody. And then the yeah. next shot is the vase breaking on the ground. Right. You know yes. what I mean? How it's split. Yeah. yeah. It's not yeah, actually definitely. all in the same shot that he throws the vase. Yeah. Yeah. A little creative editing. Yeah. I've got way too much time on my hands, Shauna. Seriously. Mm-hmm. No. Um, Trust me, the, thing, the, the details I notice about this show, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be shocked. And you know what's so sad? We never see him again. Yeah, that's true. And we don't see her maid again either. No, we no. And a, Liz Sheridan. Yeah, she was um, Seinfeld's mom on Seinfeld. Seinfeld's mom, Estelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a she's a great actress. Yeah. Oh, she's. But, uh, yeah. The one thing that I noticed there, you know, speaking of things that I now when I was watching the pilot episode this time, I was looking for seeds, the seeds that would grow throughout the series, things that started in the pilot that we see again and again and again. And of course, overlapping dialogue is first and foremost with moonlighting, right? Absolutely. Um, So even with her maid from the very beginning, if you notice, they start overlapping Sybil and her maid or Maddie and her maid. So the, the overlapping dialogue starts, you know, even not even with Maddie and David, but with the, the maiden and, and Maddie. Oh, I didn't notice that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just as soon as soon as uh, they're talking about what's happening and why is it, why is he so mad and what's happening with the, the checks and the accounting and things like that. Sybil comes off the stairs and walks around and the maid is following her and their their dialogue is overlapping there. Oh, I'm too busy looking at the staircase. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, I think, you know, that's just typical Glenn's writing, right? And um, he, I think, just wants it always to sound a bit authentic. Yeah, that's what happens in real life. People overlap. So, yeah, from there, she finds out that her money, something's going on with her money and uh, tries to call the accountant. 
but he's not picking up or the line is disconnected. And so um, she goes to see her lawyer, right? Yep. So, well, one thing I um, noticed of, you know, when we're thinking of things that um, we didn't see again in the series really, or maybe not until later, like we never saw her kitchen again or things like that. So when, uh, when Maddie goes to see her lawyer, she's wearing a hat, but uh, Maddie never wore a hat again until, you know what episode? Yes. I don't know the name of the, I know which episode you're talking about, but I can't think what it is. You tell me. Blonde on blonde. Blonde on blonde. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. With um, Donna Dixon. Yeah. Donna Dixon. And, and the plot yeah. needed her to wear a hat. Yeah. Otherwise, David yeah. would have recognized her walking out of the. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There was a, yeah. In that episode, there was a reason she was wearing a hat. But um, yeah. So I, I noticed um, Maddie was wearing a hat when she saw her lawyer. And then another thing I noticed, um, I think Glenn tried to slip things in there that uh, kind of referred to Bruce and Sybil outside of the show and on the lawyer's notepad, uh, it said shepherd, shepherd. And I wrote it down. Gold, um, something. The, uh, the lawyer's office was named like shepherd, shepherd and something. Levine um, Webb. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. You saw that too. Yeah. yeah so- I freeze. I actually freeze framed the show the other day when I was watching it because the document mm-hmm. is just jumbled words. It's hilarious. I saw, I saw that too. Yeah, so I've got yeah. it. I've actually got it here on my phone. Um, mm-hmm. This is what it says: Shepherd, Shepherd, Levine, and Webb, attorneys at law. Something sweet twenty. I don't know. Villa, Willamine Boulevard, Beverly Hills, California, and the postcode. It's got here the group of doctors and other officials leaving the hospital that morning was larger than usual. It is said that visitors seeking nations i'm not sure what it says lay at anchor or moved slowly along the channel the light with the continuing digestion of one's last something <laughs> in any case the two it's the grammar is just yeah. nothing, right no I, I think case, it's just a yeah, yeah. the two view yeah. and execution are wise to choose an occasion when a criminal word had gone out that this day there was to be such an execution (laughs) that's what it said well these were in the days when they did not expect us to be able to um pause anything and read it clearly right yeah Yeah, so yeah but it is funny that you think that they could just put a legal document on there or something why why a bunch of mumbo jumbo you know but Mm. yeah exactly so that was pretty funny so and she also says so everything she's earned since she was 14 years old. Now she's, you're assuming she's 35 now. So it's 21 yeah. years of her work that's been taken from her. Yeah. That's just terrible. Yeah. Possibly imagine how she's feeling. That is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is terrible. Mm. They, I think the writers always tried to give um, Bruce and Sybil things that they could play that might ring true to them in a way, you know, and I think we've seen this in other ways through the series, but that's pretty, pretty true for Sybil. You know, she w- had been working since a teen, her teen years, pretty much, you mm. know, probably since that same age. So something she could relate to, like what if her life savings had just been taken by an accountant, you know? Yeah. So that scene where she walks into the building, that's her first outfit. She's wearing pants and a hat. Yeah. Right. It's not, it's not normally pants. in subsequent episodes, not something she would normally wear. Yeah, it is a bit of a different wardrobe for her. I don't know if Robert Turderis was the wardrobe 
on this? I'm guessing not. Yeah, I didn't um, actually look that up to see if he was he actually started from the pilot or whether he just started from the first episode. So we'll find that out anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll have to find out. But okay, so she was wearing pants or was she wearing a skirt? She was wearing pants. I think she was wearing a skirt. I, you know, they always accentuated her legs. I think it had a pretty high slit in it. I think I did somewhere. No, I'm sure she was wearing pants in the first scene. And then when she goes into the city of oh, she, she, oh, okay. In that first scene she had, okay, I got you. Yeah. Maybe she was wearing pants when she saw her attorney. Yes. Yeah. A lot, a lot of beige. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. And I really liked the actor who played the lawyer. He was, it, that was a good, yeah. um, that was good casting. Other, I've yeah. seen him in other things. Yeah. Uh, at least um, he was a bit of a sympathetic character. Seemed like he had known her for a long time. Yeah. Car. <laughs> yeah. Gave, gave her the car. Um, at least she had some, you know, something to drive in, you know, like she said, poor doesn't become her. So, and yeah, I guess he just gave her good advice. Go liquidate the assets that you do have. Mm. Yeah. And try to get back on your feet. And somehow she was able to keep the house. Oh Yeah. That we kind of get to that in like later episodes, but anyway, um, okay. But for now, yeah, she's got her house, so she's got hit the lawyer's car, and now she's got to go liquidate her assets, which brings us to the City of Angels investigation. Yeah. Now, the first thing I want to say about that is that this is twelve minutes in, right? So this yeah, twelve minutes right. in, we haven't seen Bruce and we haven't seen Mister Pesto, right? So, yes. yeah, so that's the first time you see them, 12 minutes in, you see Agnes and you see David. Now, yeah. what I first notice about his office is it's very well lit. Mm. It's actually it's sun, a sunlight. Right, right. Okay. You mean uh, City of Angels in, in general? Yes. It's, it's actually like, you're right, and you made a really good point at the start that it's actually like a movie. They've created it as a movie. So yeah. it's really different look than yes. actually watching a TV show. So yeah. that's the first thing I noticed. You go into his office and there's light. This just like it's lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, it's probably an actual office building as well on location. I don't think anything was on a set at this point. So, yeah, it's probably a, it was probably a building in Los Angeles that got a lot of natural light. So, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And then they kind of modeled the sets after the places that they filmed. And I love her hair. What do you think of her hair? I love the flattened look. Yes, I love that. I love her more of a relaxed look for her hair, for sure, which um, that's a big topic of conversation in later episodes as well. Yes, (laughs) yes. And I really, really love Mr. Pesto's reaction. Oh, I love it. He walks in the room. She's like, wow. Wow. She doesn't even even (laughs) say hello to her. She's like, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She was gorgeous, and she came in with an attitude that Agnes wouldn't come in with, right? It was like, hello, you know, looking over her sunglasses and, you know, very powerful. Yes, that's right. I love that. That's because I always say to people, don't talk to me over your glasses. I just find it (laughs) like. I don't know, disrespectful or just rude. I don't know. And oh, yeah. she comes in, she lowers her sunnies and she's like, yeah. you know, may I speak to whoever's in charge? And Agnes is just completely oblivious of that because she's just a yeah. lovely, kind, like, beautiful person. She's just like, wow, that's she's all she's concentrating aw- on. <laughs> yeah, she's kind of awestruck. She's so she's totally kind of, awestruck. Yeah. Absolutely. Almost like she's, yeah, almost like she's seeing a celebrity in person. Maybe she recognized her. I mean, Maddie Hayes, Blue Moon Girl was a pretty well-known figure, I'm sure. But then later when they go in the office, he says, who do we have here? And she has no idea who it is. Oh, that's true. She's like, I don't know. Like, yeah, so she's like, this is just a beautiful woman that's come into the office, Dave. Yeah, true, true. Yes. Maybe Agnes wasn't a big um, Blue Moon shampoo user. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So then uh, we are approaching the big moment where uh, Maddie and David lay eyes on each other for the very first time. That's right. And Agnes gets a bucket thrown on the head. <laughs> yeah. Very classic scene. And, classic. and uh, yes, and definitely um, gives everybody a clue as to a clue, a clue, a clue <laughs> as to <laughs> I love it. as to what kind of show that like, this isn't going to be your run-of-the-mill serious detective drama. It's going to be a little humor in here. Because Glenn dared to be different. That's right. Yes. Can I just ask you, when she says to him, All right, you might have seen my picture somewhere. I knew it. No flies on you. Nope, they certainly aren't. Whatever that means. Yeah. Nope, could possibly you. not know that saying? <laughs> no flies on you. Because it's mentioned again when Rebecca Stanley says something later on in the show and he's like, people have got to explain to me what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that is funny. And do you know why? Yeah. And so in the commentary, um, Glenn says that that was something that his wife used to say to him, ah, which is why he included it. Of course. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but also just because you hear like no flies on you, you know, doesn't always mean that you understand exactly what that means at the same time or, or, you know, he's just being silly or just, you know, yeah. yeah. um, yeah, Like whatever that means, you know, or, you know, cause he's kind of trying to banter with her a little bit and and things like that. So yeah. Who, you know, he could be saying that for all sorts of reasons. Right. Yeah. That's true. Had a bit of a mouth on him. So (laughs) yeah, sure did. 
Yeah, so that's when he realised it was um, from the ads, milk, honey, and a tablespoon of moonbeams in every bottle. Moonbeams in every bottle. That he recognises her. Oh, yeah. Although he thinks yeah. she's Miss March. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He, yeah, well, he recognises her, but he's not sure where from, yes. I guess. Yeah, he, he definitely recognised her, but wasn't quite sure on yeah. his Yeah, wasn't sure if it was his Playboy magazines or... What do you think of their initial banter? Like when um, he's claiming that she's a Playboy playmate and then she shuts him down? Yep. Yeah, I think I just love it. I think it's great um, the way, you know, she just cuts him off and is like, listen, bub. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, sets him straight, you know, and he needs to be set straight because his mouth is ahead of his brain. In that, in that case, you know, is that how you talk to somebody who has just come into your office to talk to you about some business, you know? Yeah, he has no filter. No, he has no filter and she shoves it right back in his face. You know, he kind of had to eat his words a bit. And yeah, it's like, no, I'm not that. I'm, you know, Ms. Madeline Hayes and I own this dump, basically. <laughs> you know, it's like, I am your boss. And how dare you talk to me like that? Yes. You know, so I, I, yeah, I love, I love that banter. And I just love that he's never put off by her, you know, they're not really put, put off by each other. She's, she's put off by him, I guess, more so than when she, when she gives it back to him, he just keeps moving forward, yep. I guess, in a way, keeps you know, coming yeah. back with something. Yeah. He keeps coming back with something. Exactly. And she was just adamant that she was closing that place down. And it's a, it's a running theme through the show where she's adamant that she's going, she's made a decision and he just turns it all around and makes her do something yeah. completely different. So it's a great introduction to their relationship, how that dynamic works between them. Yeah, that's true. He's very good at persuading her to see things in a different way, which, which she needs. And, you know, uh, if you think of it, in my mind, she's probably gone to three or four other businesses that day walked in, told them, you know, we're shutting these doors, we're liquidating everything. This is what I need from you. And probably walked out. And, you know, maybe this was like the third or fourth visit that day because she seems, you know, to know what to say, hands him the paperwork, expects him to comply and she's out of there. And then she kind of takes over the scene and is just, you know, boom, 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 boom. This is what I need. I need the cars. I need the credit cards. This is what's going to happen basically. And then uh, she leaves and another staple of the series um, is him chasing her down hallways. Yeah, and the hallway is obviously completely different than the new hallway they create on stage. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Just going back before they come down the hallway, in the scene where he's sitting there and talking to her, I don't know why I notice this all the time, and there's no reason why it should be moving. There's a vertical blind in the background that's moving. If they're in a high-rise office building. The window can't. The windows can't be open. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just wondering where the breeze is coming from. So it's right down the bottom on the left-hand side of the scene. He's there talking, yeah. and this blind is in the okay. back, and it's moving. I don't know. I just always hmm. notice. <laughs> yeah, you can get. It's not from a fan, maybe a fan inside the room or air no. aircon or. No. Okay. It just must be from maybe a fan in the studio that trying to keep the place cooler. I don't know. Who knows? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Probably from production somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny. Right. So the hallway, yeah, it's not so cozy, is it? Yeah. Longer. And then a turn, the elevator, which um, their normal office didn't have a turn to the elevator is straight down. Well, it was uh, straight down to the right. 
actually. And this one was like down to the left, right? Yeah, it's different. It's it's just yeah. a little odd when you when you just remember other episodes. Um, yeah. And also, the other thing I wanted to say was this: the first time we see the City of Angels logo. Yeah. And what did you think about him calling her a bitch when she's going into the elevator? Yeah, harsh, right? Yeah. He, I guess, isn't used to, um, you know, he's this like wise, cracking, fast, jiving guy, right? So maybe he's not used to, especially women. I think he's used to um, women kind of being putty in his hands and she's not. And he's kind of maybe put off by that, I guess. No, I don't know if he's put off though. You know, it's like um, he's just taken aback maybe. And maybe he wanted to get a rise out of her somehow. Maybe he wanted to provoke her. Um, you know, um, maybe he thought that he was, she was truly being cold, like you're fired by. And maybe he thought she should know that. It hurt his ego. I think he's got the ego, the size of Montana. Yeah. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, he was like, hang on a minute. Women don't normally, I don't normally get this reaction, this response from women. What the hell's going on? So- yeah. Yes. And she's like an, an ice block, you know, like an, a big iceberg standing in front of him. And like, how's, how am I going to um, traverse this? But again, um, kind of a staple in their relationship, him provoking her in some way. And that's what we love about them both, you know? Yeah. And then her reaction, what's her reaction to slap him across the face? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. I mean, very harsh. I just find it a very harsh scene, harsh to watch. I just... Can, you know, you can never guess what a cold bitch you are. Yeah, it's it's you know? early stages. They haven't developed their characters yet, and it's not something they would do in the future. Not that I can remember. You mean um, being him. so having that such harsh words and her slapping him? No, well, she yeah, slaps she does, punches yeah, him like does. yeah, just sort of a few episodes. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> like, right. Wait a second. Yeah, she was violent. She was a violent. Yeah, yeah you're right. Violent you're person. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, I can think yeah. of. My God, like at least four times that she either punches him or slaps him across the face, probably more. Throwing things across the room. and <laughs> Oh my gosh, throwing things, grabbing him by the tie, like pushing him up against the wall, shoving him across the room. I mean, she was she was actually like a very violent person. <laughs> yeah, you're right, and, you're right. I think it's and, what he says to her that's, um, he doesn't normally speak to her like that. It's not. Maybe his words were super harsh and it got a reaction out of her. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's what he was doing. He's trying to push her buttons just to get a reaction. That's, you know, and that's, yeah. And he got it. Just find it her an interesting character because I don't, I can't think of a character since that could get away with that Mm. on TV, you know, the way that she kind of beats him up in a way, you know, Um, lots of times. Especially um, in a boy girl detective show. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's supposed to be like, um, and a, and a comedy as well, you know, but yeah. <laughs> something that we'll discuss more along the way, but, oh, cool. um, she's definitely a unique character the way that she, she's got anger issues, you know, she reacts to him in a very violent way many times, which yeah. is very interesting. The other thing I noticed too, as she's leaving in the elevator, he goes, let's get together and do this again sometime, which is something yeah. that is in a subsequent episode. Oh, to somebody else. Oh, does he? Yes. We'll oh, okay. Get to that. Yep. We'll get to that. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, how is Agnes's goodbye poem in the doorway? Mm. Yeah. Lovely. Yes. It just gives us a bit yep. of a, an insight into how it's all going to be with, with Agnes de Pesto and her poems. 
And it was a, I just thought it was a lovely little poem she says to him in the doorway, as if, you know, yeah. we're leaving now. It's the end of um, City of Angels. I just thought it was lovely. Yeah. And such a nice scene, um, the way it's lit. And David looks a little bit small sitting in his office and he's kind of backed into a corner wondering what to do. And I think that Agnes coming in and saying that to him, I think he always feels like he has, he feels devoted to Agnes. You know, he feels a real responsibility for her. Yes. And I think he's always going to find a way to, just like he did for like Maddie in lots of ways um, later, keep, you know, he needs to keep this going. He wants to keep Agnes employed. He wants to um, keep himself employed, but yeah, he doesn't want to disappoint her. And right after she says that and leaves, that's when he's kind of spurred on, you know, maybe he was thinking about it, but he's spurred on to take action and find out where Maddie is. So he can go find her and talk to her about, try to convince her. He's got a new idea. You know, he's like, wait a minute, she's got a name. I've got this agency. We've got this agency. Let's make the most of this, you know? So I think he is sitting there mulling it over, but Agnes, Agnes coming in and saying goodbye. I think he knows he has a responsibility to her and he, it spurs him on to take some more action. Yeah, I think it's a great scene. You're right. It is it's very well lit. It just establishes that he's sitting there working out what his next steps are. And what am I going to do now? What action am I going to take to protect this agency and keep it open? And then yeah. her coming in and it was just a lovely scene. I just love that scene. It's the best. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's so warm and shows what kind of relationship they have. It tells you a lot about their relationship and the show and things to come. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely feels a responsibility for making sure she keeps her job as well. Yeah. And I love that line when he does take some action, they say, you know, he's looking for Maddie and they say. Pressing? Yes, I say it's pressing. As a matter of fact, I'd say it's crushing. <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's like he's in a vice, you know, he, um, yeah, he needs to take some action to keep himself employed. You know, David Addison, thinking of the character is probably a guy that went through many different careers. That's what I imagine, you know, bartender probably at some point, they may even, they may even say that. I don't know if they ever give much of a backstory about what he used to do, but I think he's someone that tried a bunch of careers and he likes this, you know, he just isn't that motivated to, you know, I don't know how much success he's had solving cases, probably not much, but he likes the work and he wants to stay employed. So that's what he says to her. I'm a, I'm a very good detective and we lost money. Great. Right. And we were supposed to lose money. We were supposed to lose money. That's why we were here. (laughs) Now you say make money, we're going to make money. Yeah. So he's like, just tell me which direction to drive the car, lady. You know? So yeah, then we go to the Weston Bonaventure in Los Angeles. Still there. That's where Maddie is at the uh, date with the plastic surgeon. Yes, because I think yeah. in, the, in the special features, they weren't quite sure whether that was actual restaurant or whether it was done on set. Mm. I think it was done in the restaurant. Yeah, I think they filmed. I think they filmed all of this on location, okay. as far as I can tell. I lived in Los Angeles for four years, and I visited a lot of these locations. Maybe with uh, one of our other moonlighting sisters, Diana. She and I visited quite a few locations, some of the churches. Pretty sure we went up to the Western Bonaventure went in those elevators and things like that. So it's all there. Um, some things have just been redone and look different. So I think it's all been, of course, you know, many years ago, redesigned. That's where Maddie goes on her date with Dr. Face Fixer. <laughs> <laughs> Jim McCrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just love what he says to that poor maitre d' about, <laughs> I can get that little mall room in 15 minutes. I know. 
and, and yeah, you can just see it. the guy. He's so boring, you know. It's just like his whole life. His whole life, he's just gonna walk around looking at people's faces and see what he can fix, you know. And <laughs> Maddie's eyes are just glazed over already in the elevator, you know. Because she's thinking, oh my god, if I can get this plastic surgeon, I've got it made. Because yeah, she, that's true. He's lost everything, so you know. Oh my gosh, I or Maddie, that. like going on a date the day that she loses all of her uh, money and all this stuff. How can you even keep the keep the date but yeah you're right uh she probably thought oh gosh i need a plastic surgeon in my life right now i need i needed some some for some money and i love his the way he portrays his character it's a really strange it's not strange but i just love the way he acts in this episode yeah the way he is so different to the other characters and especially when they tell him you've got a phone call from the hospital or something and he's and he's going oh damn you know you know it's just very mechanical i don't know i don't i don't know the way to, any way to explain it. yeah just like yeah calming you know i've got to take this maddie yeah, yeah i know what you mean yes different um but yes i think that his character is the perfect contradiction to how david comes in in just a few minutes here you know he's just so boring so mundane, so into his work, analyzing everything around him, everyone's face and things like that. And Maddie's just, she looks so bored. I mean, she wouldn't, she probably wouldn't admit it. She tries to act like she's having the great, greatest time ever, right? Yeah, it was. it's a great contrast because he's talking to him and then Dave walks in and it's completely different. Oh my gosh, yes. Energy in the room. Um, yep. This guy walks off, you know, and I love what David says about he's here celebrating Patty having her braces removed. <laughs> <laughs> waving over to the family and yeah Put some tables together but looks like you're gonna go hard duck and the look on his yeah. face is yeah. just great yeah. <laughs> and let's not forget Dave, david orchestrated that phone call absolutely yes you know? yep now, how so david i don't know but he did it he did a good job <laughs> yep yeah he always finds a way you know um he orchestrated that phone call and gets that doctor out of his way so he can talk yeah. to madeline and awesome. yeah so awesome. I think that is, I really noticed that watching this time, just the great contrast between how mundane the doctor was and how David comes in and just like takes over everything and it just overwhelms her, which I think he's very good at doing. And I think it part of her anxiety about their relationship later is the way that he can overwhelm her and sway her to do what he wants to see his way and things like that. He could, He's so good at talking her into doing what he wants to do in a way. And I like the way he uses examples you know, in future episodes, you know, when he uses the, sorry, spoiler alert, people, about 7-Eleven and the other guy and when they got oh, to the he seven, uses yeah, the all seven, food. all 11, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 11, 11. yeah. Um, <laughs> the best, the best, I love him. It's a great way to convince somebody to do something is use an example. Well, look at these guys. They did this and they did this and they created yeah. and the rest is business history, right? Yeah. It's a great tool for, for Glenn to give to David to, yeah. to use that yes. to convince Maddie. It's just the best. I love it. Yeah. What was his uh, example on this one? Um, I know he was saying like. Uh, he did say, do birds fly, do ducks duck. I've written. Yeah. There's I think a, he, yeah, a seed, a, a staple of the show that started. Yeah. And he yeah. says later, um, does Spock beam, beam up, do eggs get laid or something like that? Um, eggs get yeah. laid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He had uh, he had he had a couple of Davidisms in there. We're gonna have were, to we're gonna have to ask Glenn about that. How did that all start? 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, whether that it's particular something, type whether, Yeah, that's right. So whether it's something from his own life, uh, is it yeah. something somebody he knows always said, or did he just create yeah. that for David? Yeah, interesting okay. to know. Our next guest star is um, our diamond thief, Robert Ellenstein, which is the elderly gentleman who goes out on the ladder with Bruce. He was born in 1923 and unfortunately passed away in 2010 at 87. He was actually in the US Air Force in World War II and he received a Purple Heart for his work. His career starts back in the early 50s. So here's a little bit of history in TV. In 1959, he was in North by Northwest. Ah, okay. Yeah. So he played Licht, as in L-I-C-H-T. Now, I have to watch that movie again because I've got that on DVD as well. Yeah, I'll have to go back and see him. Nice young fella. In 1966, he played Harry Fitz in Bonanza. See how this is all intertwining? Yeah. This is crazy. Uh, 1978, he was in Hawaii Five-O. So there's a few little links there happening. Now, he did three episodes of Perry Mason in 1957 and guess what his name was in the show he was the defendant on perry mason because perry mason was a lawyer right mm-hmm. his name yeah. in the show was john addison oh how funny get out of town i know yeah <laughs> he received a lifetime achievement award for being in theater by the la weekly in 1988 but he's best known for being the villain in moonlighting wow yeah but he was very well known for teaching theatre for over 50 years. Oh, wow. So that's our, that's our diamond thief, Robert Ellenstein. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. I wrote this down. That Robert Ellenstein, you next see him in his home. It looks like it's a birthday for his grandchild. Now, his character actually reminds me of a character in Men in Black. Okay. The first movie. The old guy, he's got a jewellery store, he dresses the same, he's the same age, and then later on you find out he's the actual leader. They open up his brain and the leader is inside his brain and it's crazy. Anyway, that character really reminds me of this Diamond Thief character. Now, if anybody's seen, obviously a lot of people have seen Men in Black, if, if, if anybody agrees with me or disagrees, let me know. You can email us at fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. Yeah, just I just that's something that struck me when I was watching it again. I thought, oh, that reminds me of that character in um, Men in Black. So if anybody agrees, let me know. But that's just thought I'd put that down. Now, Gunther's car. What the hell is that? Yeah. What the <laughs> hell is that car? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a little red um, compact convertible, maybe or something. I don't know. No, it's a no. It's not red. Oh, okay. It's all different colors, but it's an unusual looking car. And I'm just wondering the history of that and how, why and how they chose uh-huh. that car. Because it, it actually really suits the scene and it really suits him. You know, you've got this guy with a big mohawk on his head and he's in this yeah. car. <laughs> yeah, this tiny car. Okay. Yeah, I know. I can, yeah, kind of picture. He drives into the parking garage, doesn't he? And yeah, is this the scene? Uh, yeah. And then he goes up into, he's going up into the Western Bonaventure. Yeah. That's right. But before that, yeah. you were introduced to Dennis Lipscomb, which is the bad guy. I couldn't find much about him, but what really excited me was he was in the movie War Games in 1982. So I don't know if yeah, you remember that one. That's right. That, that young kid who hacks the. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. So now I've got to go back because I've actually got the DVD somewhere. I'm going to watch it and see what character he played. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 definitely. And he was also in Under Siege, 1992. He was also in a lot of television commercials, apparently. He was born in 1942 in Westbury, New York. And unfortunately, he passed away in July 2014 in LA at the age of 72. Oh, and by the way, Dennis Lipscomb is the very calm bad guy who talks very very slow. Yes. Yes, I love him. Yes, I think all bad guys should be like that. Yes. That was a great introduction to him with bringing down the window of the limousine and him having a chat. Um, The other Dennis, and he's not happy, gets very angry. Yeah, and then you've got that car chase. So, of course, then we start with the car chases on Moonlighting. Yep, quite a few of those. Quite a few. Yeah, they they definitely uh, try to keep the action going. But do you um, find yourself, and I don't know about at the time, but, you know, now that we're seen the whole series many many a times and all of that, (laughs) when they cut away, and, you know, this is just how the series was, when they cut away and they're, you know, going on with the the mystery and um, the car chases and all that stuff. Are you waiting to get back to Maddie and David? Yes. <laughs> of course. Of course. It's like, yes, this is all fine and good. And this is all well and good. You know, chase, 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 and whatever the, the backstory is. Unless they're part of the car chase. Which Well, they- yes, of course. Well, yes. If, yeah. yeah. If, they're, <laughs> if it's some car chase. But it's like, it is, it is really just funny how, and this is why it was hard for them not to be in every scene. And, you know, when they weren't in every scene um, later in the series, you know, it was um, fans didn't like it, but it's just, there's, they just pop off the screen. It's just always better when they're on it. So yeah, I just always find myself, but we've got the, this couple back here, you know, I want to see what's happening with them because he's trying to talk her into working with them. So yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's funny how there's just always that kind of nagging feeling like, yeah, this is all fine, but I want to go back to Maddie and David. Yeah. And it's great because it goes to the restaurant, goes back to the car chase, goes to the restaurant, goes back to the car chase. It's really good. Come together. And that, that is great. And you're working out that, oh, I think this guy's going to end up where they are. (laughs) So yeah. um, Right. I'll just go quickly into Jim McCrell. Now he's our plastic surgeon. Yeah. A brief history of him is that he was a talk show host. He hosted and starred in the NBC game show Celebrity Sweepstakes. He has theatrical credits in some memorable films such as Woody Allen's Annie Hall, Teen Wolf 1985 with Michael J. Fox, The Howling in 1981, and Gremlins in 1984. And he's also had guest starring roles on television in Dallas, Soap, Moonlighting, and The Golden Girls among 40 others. He was also a regular on General Hospital and Days of Our Lives. Right. So that's our plastic surgeon who can have that mole removed in 15 minutes in his office. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, and then he says, let's talk about Yale. Let's let's talk about Princeton. And she says, what about Yale and Princeton? A couple of great schools. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, and and also that line... um, Talk about Vietnam, you know, or something. You yeah. were in Vietnam. You were in Vietnam. <laughs> I, I could have been. I came very close, you know, like it was a, a test to take or something like that. I know. Silly. Oh, my God. Silly dialogue, you know. He's just trying. To, he's throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> right? And no? then our, our doctor returns with his bib and she's grabbing oh, yeah. onto his bib because she oh, yeah. doesn't want him Don't to leave. Which is silly. Maddie, why do you want him to stay, I guess, like. 
you know, maybe she did see, see her future money wise with him. No, that's but right. yeah. And she didn't know what to make of David, this guy, like this crazy guy showing up yep. out yep. of the blue, yep. trying to talk her into something yep. that yep. she, you know, yep. she couldn't see. Yeah. That's so good. And then I've written here, which I can't remember where it was, but I've put here American express product placement. Now, I don't know, maybe it was in the background when they were, oh, no. I think when Gunther's driving or getting out the car or something, there's a oh. an express sign or something. Oh, really? Yeah. It wasn't. Um, didn't the uh, doctor say, oh, no, he just said he left his card and to charge everything to the card. Did, it no, wasn't. He said, he, no, he's, he said he's already paid the captain. So that's, okay. that was already paid. Some innuendo there uh, with David because the doctor said, You seem to be in very good hands. And David says, The best. <laughs> For that one, clap. Yeah, typical, typical David, you know, innuendo, which is also a staple of moonlighting. Oh my yeah. God. The way he delivers the lines, though, especially that yeah. one, the best. Yeah. <laughs> he could have just said, I'm the best, but no. Yeah. No. The best. the best yeah it's the best line it's almost uh, just to amuse himself yeah you know? big yeah. ego again the elevators when gunther's trying to get away from simon great idea with the glass elevators fantastic oh yeah i love that a really great visual yeah unique chase scene definitely fantastic very cool i really enjoyed that but i couldn't work out how simon got him but he got him anyway and Simon blows a kiss to Gunther through the glass. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's a uh... very nice criminal. <laughs> he he... Was. I hate to see what uh, what would happen if you push him to his limit, his limits. <laughs> yes, that's you know? right. I think he's that nice because he knows he's, he's going to get what he wants. You know, yes. he doesn't have to be violent until the time comes. Now, finally, they're waiting for the lift and our poor victim gets out of the lift and he's been stabbed in the back, falls to the ground, and it's quite clearly not him. As in it, it looks like a dummy that they've just gone. Oh, off. right. Yes. Yeah, I like that scene too. And um, just a few things leading up to it, you know, when Maddie goes to the coat check and the whole like ringing the bell and passing the dollar, you know what I mean? It's very like a very smooth interaction between like Maddie and David. And I just love like that part of it. And and uh, her, you know, pushing the elevator button and him just hounding her, basically, you know, like, give it a and chance, you know. And, and she's yeah. pressing the button, pressing the button. It's not going to make uh -huh. the lift come any quicker. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what he's saying, like, uh, you know. But um, anyway, yes, then we lead up to when the man falls at their feet and Maddie, clear a clear dummy there, that's funny. Um, and Maddie uh, passes out, right? <laughs> she can't. Mm. she faints yeah she fainted and you know but fainted into david's arms oh isn't that lovely yes of course it's <laughs> what all the fans wanted from the start from yeah the that's all they wanted i know exactly. but they told glenn it can't happen it can't happen not in the first episode not in the no, first episode no yes the policeman when they're at the police station oh yeah yeah this is the interrogation scene is really where bruce this is david this is completely yeah. David Addison, yeah. you know, yeah. and he yeah, I think, pizza. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. So David Addison. Yeah, exactly. You know, just being cocky as hell, just, you know, not going to answer their questions, not, nothing straightforward, you know, double talking, everything, not taking it seriously. I think there are, and, you know, Bruce even says in the commentary that it took him a few episodes to like grasp this character and see how far he could push it in different directions. But that's just totally David Addison right there. That's just yes. like the essence of 
um, in the interrogation scene. Yeah. And it's interesting in future episodes or one episode that I can think of, you don't see policemen's faces when he's being interrogated. Mm, just hear the voices. You just hear the voices and, the, you know, they've, they've got a light on him and you just see yeah. the camera's just on Bruce, not on anybody right. else. So, yeah, I thought that was yeah. interesting. And he ordered yeah. pizza, yeah. which is something that Bruce did for the cast and crew um, in the middle of the night when they were still recording. He'd ordered pizza. Oh, yeah. The other thing I noticed too, the police station, is that the same set or maybe it's not a set, maybe it's real police, I can't see how it would be a real police station, but it looks very similar to the set in knowing her when mm. we had Dana Delaney as guest star. Yeah, it could be. They may have yeah. something to notice. Yeah, I, I did think that they were on location and um, mm. and they did go on location, you know, off of the Fox lot um, in other episodes. So, yeah, I'll, I'd have to take a, a closer look. I know they used um, other locations, like the same location, but in two different episodes, they look so different. The church and all creatures and the church and atomic are the same church, but if you like, you would never know it just looking. So do you think they decorated it differently or did the director block it differently? Yeah. I visited that church when I was in Los Angeles and I could see how they, how they filmed it from different angles and stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Maybe with the PlayStation, they did the, the same. Yeah, possibly. The other thing is when, she walks outside and Mary Hart's waiting for her. That was a great get too. Yeah, that was for mm. a pilot episode because that was a big show at the time. Um, mm. Entertainment Tonight I used to watch that all the time, trying mm. to get some tidbits on Bruce and Sybil mm. gossip. Because obviously we didn't have her here, so we didn't really know who she was uh, until, you know, Seinfeld. And then they mentioned her on, on an episode of Seinfeld. So then I realized. Okay. Entertainment Tonight was the big, like it was like 7 p.m. It was like entertainment news. Yeah, I watched it every single night. So that was definitely like big. Um, this is the first time she looks at the camera. Maddie. Oh. Stick around. There's going to be another murder. But I don't take that as her breaking the fourth wall. I take that as her looking into the news cameras that are filming them yes. for that segment. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. David cheering in the background randomly. Oh, my God. People, cut, sprint, shit. That's a wrap. Let's take that. I really, you're beautiful. You just want to slap him, don't you? I know. It's like her obnoxious <laughs> little brother. <Yeah. laughs> it's like he is a bit of like a gnat that won't go away. It's like, really? Get out of here. But anyway. I really hope you're enjoying the episode so far. But our recording was so long that I've had to split it in half. So today was part one and I'll soon be releasing part two. Well, until next time. I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. Thank Thank you you for for listening listening to to Moonlighting Moonlighting the Podcast. Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.